Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And this week we're going to talk about aligning your client experience with your brand. Did I say that right? Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what we're going to do. All right. That was that a good experience? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was good for me. <laughs> so for the past couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the experience of, well, experiences in general as a promotion or a step up from straight services, uh, you know, spawned by our uh, interview with Joe Pine a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so you should go back and check those things out. But we wanted to take one more swipe at this and get a little bit more specific and maybe a little bit more tactical than we did last week or uh, on the interview by talking about the the importance of aligning your client experience with your brand and like maybe maybe for some people what even are those two things why do they matter how do they relate to each other and some examples of maybe some good and bad examples of misalignment or negative cues or positive alignment and, and positive cues yeah sound like fun yeah does to uh, me cool so <laughs> where, where do you want to start well, I mean, I think maybe we should start with the idea of what's an experience, because one of the things that happened when I read The Experience Economy, and I, I had read it in like two days, so I had, it was very focused and very intensive, is that as a consultant, I don't usually think in terms of the client experience. They're not words that I would put together, but it feels like it is the very essence of, of your brand. And we can talk about what brand is in a sec too. But there's something about when you start to think about how your clients experience you, whether it's the first touch points, when they start to read your stuff or listen or watch your stuff, when they first maybe email you or they ping you on something, when you have a new business meeting, and then the whole proposal process and then once you start working with them, those are all different touch points. And when you think about them from an experience standpoint, I think it just opens your mind to different things you can do to bring your people closer to you. The community that I come from, we don't really talk about branding that almost never. It's more like we'll talk about people are aware of like marketing and they kind of know what that is. And I think it's fair to say that most people feel like marketing, marketing is not really the right word, but, but the stuff that you do before someone becomes a client stops once they become a client. So it's like, you're giving this impression and giving an impression and giving an impression and trying to build trust and trying to build trust. And like, ha, I've got your money. Here's how, here's how the <laughs> thing's going to work. Here's how I do this, you know, and they're like, now you're in my process. And, th and that's what that is. And it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily that your process is bad, but it does seem to me that people maybe, you know, newer folks, folks are still feel more freelancey and less more, less like a consultant or less like a business owner or an entrepreneur. And they're acting more like a technician still like, you know, I do videos, you know, I create videos, I do video production or I do Photoshop or I write rails apps. And they do all of this sort of marketing stuff. And you can tell because you, you can, there's a sign, I think it's a sign that a lot of people want to outsource that stuff. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Oh, marketing is used car sales. I don't want to do sales. I don't want to do marketing. I just want to build rails apps. So somebody else, let me outsource that to somebody else to give the impression of me to the world. And then once someone becomes a customer, then I'll take over. And you can imagine that there's a huge possibility for a disconnect rate at that point where either 
you've sort of outsourced all of that to someone who doesn't quite get it. Maybe you had a meeting and you want to, you know, I want to present like a sort of premium luxury experience. Um, okay. But it's not really you and it's not really connected. So when they do become a client, there's a little bit of this like cognitive dissonance, like, oh, this isn't exactly what I was expecting. An extreme example would be someone who is just totally hyperbolic in their marketing, um, really is putting on purpose, putting forward like a, you know, one of those websites that's like really fancy and it uses we everywhere when really it's just one person sitting in their home basement. It's really just me. I still get this question like, oh, should I pretend I'm a big firm or should I, you know, by saying we or having an 800 number or having like a, an office address or something like that, should I use a PO box so they, they don't think I'm just working from home in the middle of, you know, like Nixon, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Hey, Greg. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I think I'm trying to like, so for my group of people who listen as distinct from yours, I feel like that's, those are some of the things we want to talk about. Like there's a bunch of disconnects that are happening there. And at least I think that's what you meant, Rochelle, when you brought this up. Well, potentially, Mm -hmm. potentially. I mean, some people may have this just firing on all cylinders. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily bad. (laughs) (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, I think the Ramona episode was called Authenticity or or something like that. If you're doing all that stuff and you're just constantly yourself, like good, bad, and ugly, then it's probably pretty natural that the experience that they'll have once they become a customer is going to be in line with what they expect, in line with their expectations. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, the only time I can think of that being a bad thing is if you're looking, if you're going after clients or you're trying to reach clients who are just turned off by you in general. <laughs> so, okay, there's a problem, but at least it's consistent. Well, I think another thing to, another way to look at this is that marketing and branding should not be about pretty pictures and telling a story that isn't real, right? And I think a lot of times, especially with consumer products, people think about marketing as, yeah, you're just trying to get me to buy stuff and you're just going to lie. You know, all marketers are liars, as, as Seth Godin said. But what we're talking about here is different. We're talking about really translating who you are into anything that you do that you put out in the world. So that it could be visual, like a logo or a color, a physical, literal, visual brand. Um, but a lot of times it's really about the words. It's about how you talk about things, how you treat people who come into your circle. It's, it's brand is much bigger than marketing and brand is very strategic. So it's kind of like I I would ask anybody listening who has this sort of old world view of marketing to kind of put that aside. And let's have this definition that it is you at your authentic self. And I know I sound like new wavy here. And I don't mean that, you know, that means that your picture should be in a dirty sweatshirt with a bag of chips. But it's it's about pulling out what's really unique and authentic and special about you in every single touch point, whether it's something that you put on the web, it's, it's a single tweet on Twitter, all the way to, you know, a full paying client experience. Mm-hmm. Can you think of ways that you or maybe clients that you advise uh, put this into action in a way that we can kind of communicate? It's sort of hard. It's kind of a big and subtle at the same time. I know I can think of a couple of examples where I've improved this for my own clients and students and so forth. But I'm wondering if you have any examples of that from your side of the fence. 
Uh, all kinds of examples. Of this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's funny because when we were doing it, I didn't think of it as the client experience. A lot of times what it is, is that, so when somebody hires me and I go in and do a strategy and produce a, a strategy document, a brand brief, a lot of times they're stuck on something and they've had trouble articulating their value proposition. They've had trouble getting clients. They've had trouble saying the words right? They're not sure what to focus on. And so what happens is you have somebody from the outside looking in. And so I can see things in a different way because it's not me. What is fascinating, it's always fascinating to me, is that there's almost always, when I'm not even going to say almost always, I can't think of a situation where there wasn't at least one disconnect in what somebody was telling me versus the experience they were presenting. And I've had it both ways. I've had the ones who have a very and I'm going to use the website just as a proxy because it's an easy visual to think about. So I've had some, um, I, I, one, I swear it was a 1995 website. It was clunky. It was outdated. It had pictures like group pictures of the team. And some of those people had been gone for like seven or eight years. I mean, it was just, it was awful. And then I, I wound up in that particular case, it was a little bit later, but I actually visited their offices and went in and it was the diametric opposite. These were warm, friendly, modern people. They dressed well. They looked successful. They were successful. So it was this total disconnect. So it was partially the messaging, but in that case, it was that visual the visual was stuck in an era and they just didn't know what to do. So they just didn't do anything. And, but their business kept growing and, and developing. And so you had that disconnect. And I was, I mean, I was stunned. And in this particular case, it's a financial advisory firm. So I was wondering like, what would clients think? Like, did they even look at the website? Well, it turned out most of their new business was from referrals, which is a good thing, by the way, that's not a bad thing. But they really didn't look at the site much. They would go to the individual advisor's LinkedIn profiles, and they were all different all over the lot, and then kind of make their decision about whether they were going to meet with them. So it was a totally offline experience. Anyway, so that, that would be an example of something that was just a huge disconnect. Yeah, that's a good one. I was thinking about something that happened the other day that... It's experience. It's not the same as the website, though. It was like a way that a digital experience. Well, here's what happened. So someone hired me to do a consult, just a coaching call, like a one off coaching call. When I do those, I get a, a similar reaction, like almost all the time. Somebody's going to be like, I feel like I'm talking to a podcast because <laughs> they're <laughs> because like it, because they've listened to like the show. And so when I jump on, I'm sitting in the same office, talking into the same mic in front of the same computer and wearing the same black t-shirt that I wear every day. For, you know. <laughs> and it's just exactly the same. It, ha- it must be consistent based on, I've never asked like, Hey, does this feel really consistent with the, but they're like, wow, this is just like the podcast, but it's like I'm on it or something. So I, I feel like that's mm-hmm. a, an example of where it's really uh, cohesive and people know what to expect and then they become a client and it's like exactly what they expected. So I think that's really good. The bad part about it, and I don't have a great solution for this to be honest, is that a lot of times when you when I go to run these phone calls, like lately there's there's like a some Slack update, which is what I used to do the phone calls. And like every single person I got on the phone with 
could hear me, but I couldn't hear them. And then it was this horrible conference call, like we're texting back and forth, like, did you try your audio settings on the computer level and check your preferences? And it's like, Ugh. oh, yeah, it's oh, the, that's horrible. The worst, like off the ground. It's just like a terrible, like fumble. And like I said, I'm not sure what to do about it. In every case, it was settings on the other person's end. Maybe I just go with like landlines from, I don't know, but I don't know what to do about it. But it's example of that, a sort of bad client experience that whether it's my fault or not my fault, it's affecting the experience. It's definitely negative. So, well, yeah, and these are the one-offs. So these are, it's not your core it, it happens other times too. It like, it happens with like accountability calls, in my coaching program, like there'll be an update and it changes permission, whatever the technical aspects don't matter, but, um, it would be, it, it would be a better experience if like, boom, we're like, and we're on like a kickoff call for coaching. It used to be that, you know, years ago when I first started doing it, I would kind of, I knew what I needed to do, but I didn't have a procedure. I didn't have a, you know, an SOP for it. So it kind of wing it. I knew I had to do, I had to cover like these six things, but it was all in my head. Sometimes I'd jump around or sometimes I'd miss things. And that, that didn't feel like, you know, it's not a technical problem, but it was another, another area for improvement in terms of the, the onboarding experience where someone went from being a person who was aware like a non, a non-customer to a customer or a, like they basically said, Hey, let's do this. And then they get on and the feeling that I want to project is that they're sort of under my care. So to not have like a boom, 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 boom process to go through for the first phone call, like here's the agenda. These are the six things we're going to cover. First, we're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. Then we're going to do that. We're going to schedule a recurring meeting and then have the reminder for the last date. Cause now I have it down as a as a procedure, we go through it. It's got like templates. I paste information in. I'm like, okay, after the phone call, you need to read these three pages, so on and so forth. I can feel the difference now in that portion of the, that onboarding, which I feel is like a, a perfect, that's like the place where you're most likely to get buyer's remorse. Like, mm-hmm. just spent like thousands of dollars <laughs> and like, and this guy's winging it. I shouldn't feel like I'm doing all the work. I want them to feel like, it's like, okay, it I'm coaching you now. I've got this. I know how this works. Here's what we're going to do. And I can feel the difference when I have my onboard people. Now I can feel them just sort of like sit back and relax, you know, like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to like take this in. It's like the seatbelt is on the ride is in motion. And I'm just, I'm just going to like be a passenger for the next half hour while we get all the housekeeping out of the way. And it's, it's just so much better. It's so much better. So does that align with my brand? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think about that very well, much. Well, it, it aligns with your intent. You said you want them to be under your care. I think the question becomes, and I think this is true for everybody who uses technology for anything, which is probably everybody listening to this, is when the technology doesn't work the way you want it to, is it time to do one of two things. You could make a checklist for people when things change. You could give them a thing that has five or six things to check ahead of time, or you switch to a different platform for those calls. And I guess the, you know, the question that you might ask yourself is, will I have the same problem with another platform? Uh, Or will I have a different problem with another platform? So one of the things I think is really interesting about technology and our brands is it can enable a a brand. It can accelerate your brand. It can take away from your brand or it can be neutral. 
And, you know, in an ideal world, we use technology in a way that makes our brand stronger, that ties people more closely to us. When, as I was listening to you, the first thing I thought of was, well, maybe have this checklist that you give to the person. But I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know, if I were that person, I don't think I want a checklist. I mean, I guess it's better than not having one and having a mess, but it's kind of like, I just want it to work. But now your audience are very technical. They're software developers, so they might feel differently than, than I do about that. So you want to get into their head and see what they'd prefer. And of course, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to switch? Does that make sense? What's involved in that? I like the idea. It wouldn't be like a big checklist, but just having like a backup plan. Like, hey, if you have any technical difficulties, here's my cell phone number. You can just call me at that number. Just having the contingency in place is, I think, reassuring. So it's like, so there's not that like, I just paid $10,000 to this person. The phone is, the phone's not picking up. The phone's not picking up. I can't hear him. I can hear him. He can't hear me. It's like, well, sometimes this happens. Here's my phone number. It'll be fine. You know, just call me at this number. And I like that. It doesn't have to be a big thing like, oh, check your sound settings and blah, blah, blah. It's like, just here's my direct number and just call me there. And actually, that to me is more consistent with your brand. When I, th- when I think about your brand, and again, I'm talking about the website. Let's just talk about the website for a second. It's black and white. There is a lot of text. There's not a lot of pictures, right? It's what you need. Not anymore. Not any less, right? So to me, that I would call that an on-brand experience, What you know, the, your solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Solved. <laughs> <laughs> high five. Yay. Virtual high five. What we're kind of talking about here is onboarding a new client. And, and I think we've talked about that before, where it's like that spot where you've got a lot to lose trust wise. Cause they're like, they, they made themselves very vulnerable to you by deciding to write this check. Now you want to respect the fact that they're making a leap of faith and meet them more than halfway, you know, do everything you can to like make it a reassuring, calming experience so that you can actually get done what you need to get done. Cause you're, you know, you're both there to accomplish something and, having a better trust bond built up is just going to accelerate that process. So it's very, it's very pragmatic. It's not like, well, I don't want people getting, you know, asking for refunds. It's like, it's not about that. It's about building the trust because I I think you said this before the call. One of the things about digital marketing, where it's not, if you're not doing like in-person press the flesh type of networking, uh, it's building trust is really hard and the smallest little things can burn it down. So being super consistent about that, not sending miscues or like uh, negative cues or things that are off brand is just so easy to burn it down. Paying attention to details, I think, is is maybe even more important. Well, I don't know if it's more important, but it's very important. It's important. Yeah. I just got an email the other day. I was trying to set up a, a short call with a virtual assistant. It had something to do with a client. And I didn't know her. She'd been referred to me by somebody else. And I'd, I'd sent her the note and said, would love to meet with you. Here's a link to my calendar. Set it up whenever it's good for you. And I got an, an automatic message back, which said something to the effect that, you know, I've received your message. I check emails twice a day. Remember, this is a virtual assistant so that I can focus on the work for my clients. 
And so I, you'll hear from me. It'll be later today or first thing in the morning, depending on, you know, what time the, she got the email. I thought that was really smart. Setting expectations. I'm sure her clients know already and they probably text her if they really need her for something. But I, I like that. I felt like it, it actually, for me, it built trust because if I just didn't hear from her for a day, I might think she wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could take the silence as a message. Yeah. 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 I don't know anything about her. In fact, I'm talking to her later today, but it, I assume that it's going to align with the experience of talking with her, that she's going to have her process with her clients. You know, she's got this way of working that says, I'm going to check emails at this point. And at this point, I'm going to work on client stuff. And this is what it's going to look like. She's got her processes. I felt like she has her, her stuff together is is the impression that left me with. So it's, I mean, what we're talking about can be oh so simple. This doesn't have to be complicated. I think it's just the opposite. I think this is simple. It's those little things that are important to a client, your clients, your buyers, that make their life easier. And I, I like something you said earlier, earlier. You said you want your buyers to feel like they're under your care. And I, I think a lot of um, consultants in particular feel that way. It's like once you're the client or my client, right, you're responsible for them in a way. You want them to have a terrific experience. You want them to get the transformation that you're selling or the service that you're delivering in a way that's going to work for them. Mm-hmm. Not to pull everything always back to hourly billing, but that's that was a big reason I switched away from hourly billing was I couldn't deliver that feeling. We'd be doing a project and every time there was a surprise, like, oh, didn't realize that, you know, you guys weren't using version control or something like that. That's going to like, that's going to increase the timeline. And, and it's one thing, it's bad enough to increase the timeline, but when they hear that, they hear like more money. It's going to cost more money to change, right? Like when, when you have a workman come to your house and like, um, I know we're just here to change a light bulb, but you have to have your entire electrical system replaced, you know? (laughs) And it's almost like they're the brunt of all of everything. So they weren't, they never, it never felt like I could deliver good customers. I would have called it customer satisfaction at the time, but I think it's also fair to say I couldn't deliver a good customer experience with them taking all of the risk like that when I'm supposedly the expert at this thing. So the only time they would have a great customer experience was when there were no surprises, which doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's always yeah. a surprise. If you heard me back in 2006 when I was podcasting about ditching hourly way back then, you would hear me on almost every interview. I'd say my deliverable is customer satisfaction. It's not a, an application or some features or a pile of code. My actual product is 100% customer satisfaction. And if I'm not delivering that, I shouldn't get paid. So I want to do everything I can to optimize for that. And that means not acting like a cab driver with a meter running with them having to tell me where to go. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. So yeah, it's about aligning the experience. That's exactly that. It's when you don't want your clients telling you where to go because then you're an employee. You're not an independent professional with a point of view, a set of processes that you work people through to get to whatever that end result is that you're selling. That's what, that's what this is about. We're, we're not employees. Right. Jumping back a little bit to the, uh, the VA 
story where you got that autoresponder that said, I only check email twice a day. The idea of setting expectations and also I keep feeling the concept of professionalism crop up, but I don't think it's exactly that. So like the idea of coming across like experience this is not my first rodeo. I know how this is done. I know how my part is done anyway. You know, your business is unique to you and you've got all sorts of nuances that I don't know about, but my piece, the piece that matters, the intersection between our two businesses, I've got my part down. I'm sure you've got your part down and we're going to come together and we're going to create something new in that intersection. I keep on wanting to say it's about being a professional or it's about professionalism, but it's really not that. It's just that there's a lot of, I, I, I don't think so anyway, you tell me what you think, but, but it's just so common that what you're looking for in a B2B relationship is a professional, that it makes sense that you're going to be, you, you're going to project professionalism. The problem that with that is I think professionalism it can be a little bit of a, a mask and it can become be a little phony where people misinterpret like I'm this particular way. I'm not, I'm not super professional. And so they, they stop being authentic because they think they need to be professional capital P air quotes. And that's when you start getting these websites that, you know, where there's a, a bunch of people in suits, shaking hands and smiling at each other and everything is the Royal we. And it's like, well, that's not, I think that gets lumped into as professionalism. So I, what I'm trying to do here, I guess, is draw a distinction between setting expectations and and taking care of the client, but not being fake either. Like I, I just feel like professionalism a lot of times can come across fake when it when it's fake. <laughs> you know what I mean? So people will kind of like to be like, I need to be more professional, but they're not actually more professional. They just fake. I think that's actually worse than just being yourself. Maybe the way to, to tackle that word, because I think for me, professional and professionalism feels loaded. Like I feel a lot of judgment in that. Maybe the way to think about it is, uh, think about it as pro, is that you want to be a pro. But this is whether I'm serving a client or whether I'm hiring somebody to help me. A pro knows their stuff, right? They know it inside and out. A pro is going to do their job on time right? They're going to do what they said they're going to do. Problems will crop up, but they're going to attend to them. And I can trust a pro. I can trust them that the job's going to get done right. I can trust that if we have a glitch or when we have a glitch, they're going to handle it like a pro. It's not about, a lot of times people hear professional and they think, well, I'm wearing a suit and tie yeah, or I'm wearing a, yeah, a suit and high heels, very corporate. And, you know, I have clients who, who serve a heavily corporate environment, including C-suites of Fortune 50 to 500 companies. They have a certain image they need to uphold, but it is who they are. They're still dealing with people in a very pro way without being stuffy. They're a little bit more formal than, than some others. And when you think about marketing and branding, there's a more formal approach to it. It's not necessarily the royal we, but it's a little bit more formal. But that's only if that's the person's style. Right. See, that's the, that is the key. And I love the, using the word pro. I think that's genius. Because, because now all of a sudden, that includes all different kinds of non-corporate professionals. So like if you imagine um, a tennis pro or something, he's not going to show up in a suit and tie right? He's going to show up in sweats or shorts or whatever, and they're going to be clean and they're going to not be shredded. And, <laughs> hopefully. You know, hopefully. I mean, that, I mean, that would be, yeah. 
the, the thing I love about this is that professional to me, a, a lot of times is interpreted as like suit and tie and stuffy. But if you just say pro, then it's more like, well, it could be, it's going to be appropriate to whatever, whatever profession. And if you're authentic and honest with yourself and the way that you are and the way that you want to continue to be, and you want to, you want your pre-customer marketing to align with your customer experience and even aftercare if you offer that sort of thing then you might as well just be yourself a pro version of yourself and that doesn't mean putting on a tie or or high heels or both right (laughs) so (laughs) i totally i totally love that and so now that the thing to consider here if you're kind of if you're Dear listener, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I've got my uh, sales meeting clothes and I've got my normal clothes and, you know, I would never be able to get away with like my normal clothes at with my customers. It's kind of like, well, think about the customers that you're selecting then, you know, maybe if a, a financial advisor showed up wearing the, the outfit of a tennis pro, that would probably make you nervous if you were the kind of person who was looking for financial advice and vice versa. If a tennis pro showed up in a suit and tie, you'd be like, um, how's this going to go? Like you can be a pro in a way that's authentic and natural for you by picking the right kinds of clients. So if you are, for example, let's bring this into away from tennis a little bit and say like, well, if you are like, um, you know, a creative director type and you are, you're going to do branding. If I'm hiring you to do branding, I'm going to expect you to look a particular way. You're going to have a particular kind of glasses. You're going to have a particular kind of piercings. You're probably going to have tattoos. Uh, you're probably going to wear black. You know, like, <laughs> like, okay. And I'm, I'm not, you know, and maybe you won't, but there's some expectations. Like you're going to be hipper than me. Otherwise, yes. why am I hiring you? Yes. You're going to be cool and you're going to be visually creative. Right. It's going to show. Mm-hmm. So if I'm hiring a designer, I'm going to expect them to be cooler than me. Like, I, I don't know if that's a bad expectation, but that is my expectation. Call it a prejudice if you want, but if they're going to, if I'm going to hire someone like that, they're going to have to disabuse me of that notion if they need to, or, um, look at, look at Paul Jarvis, who we've interviewed on the show. Very creative guy. I've never seen the guy with a clean shave ever. No, he's, he's cool. Yeah. He's just cool. Yeah. Could you imagine him in a suit? No. no. Well, maybe like for a wedding or something I could see like in his personal life, but for business, no, I can't picture a meeting where he would wear a suit. No, if if we got on a phone call and he had a tie on, I'd be like, dude, what what? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I can't I can't picture that. Your outfit, your piercings, your tats, your your uh, the colors on your website, the photography that you get done, and your clients are a choice. All of those things are a choice. The important piece here is that the clients are a choice too. So if you are just trying to appeal in general to the world, you're probably going to feel like, eh, I'm going to go safe. I'm going to go middle of the road. That probably means like button down shirt with a jacket or maybe a tie, you know, if you're male, I don't know, maybe not, but I feel like that I'm like, I'm soapboxing about that word professionalism. I really don't like it because I feel like it drives people to that sort of safe middle when that could could potentially be the exact opposite of the vibe that they should be presenting, depending on what what promise they're made, like what space they're in. Yes. I'm thinking back when I was running a national consulting practice, I, I was living in Chicago, but I had to come out to the West Coast quite a bit for client meetings. And I had a new business meeting with the head of HR for 
a large, well-known organization. And so I had, you know, I had, I had a travel uniform in those days, right? So it was a, it was a, like a black skirt, a black sort of like scoop neck thing underneath, and then a colorful jacket. And I would wear some different pairs of, of, I'm a shoe girl, right? So I would have these different cool shoes. And I used to wear, this sounds weird, but it was good, fishnet hose, so uh, flesh-colored fishnets, not the black kind with the line up the back. But so I, I had this look, right? And I, I thought I looked like pretty sharp, right? It worked in corporate, but it was a little different. So I walked into this meeting with this woman. And I, as I came in, I thought, oh, she looks a little bit more casual. She had, it was a beautifully well-cut jacket and a blouse. And I don't remember what else, but she had nice jewelry and stuff. And she stood up and walked out and she had jeans on which would never happen in those days in Chicago in a big company like that. And she had, they were nice jeans. She had great shoes on. I mean, she looked terrific. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, my mouth dropped. I had to like, almost like push it back up with my hand. I'd never met anybody who, who had done that. And I thought that was hysterically, for me, it was one of those moments. It was quite a few years ago now, but I remember that in her so well. And my point here is in this case, it was more of a geographic thing because I learned it was not a creative company. In fact, it was a financial services, very traditional company, but that was, it was part of the, the ethos. Now you could do the same thing in some Southern states and you would find just the opposite where people are very dressed up and it's 102 with hundred percent humidity and they're wearing hose and heels and a long sleeve jacket you know, and a long sleeve blouse underneath. So it's, there's, there's a regional aspect of this sometimes too, especially if you're, you know, in a, in a corporate arena. It's funny that we're talking about clothes, but it does count. It is. It's like part of the expectation. Yeah. And yeah. here's the, here's the thing I want to hammer on though, because people are probably listening to be like, oh, well, cause you hear advice all the time that, that if you're going to go to somebody's office, you want to find out ahead of time, what is appropriate because it's so different from like you're like you're describing it's very different in different places and you want to be appropriate for the client yes but you don't have to work with everybody so the and the story that's coming to my mind is i was brought along on a team a bigger team that was doing a a really big sales call it was like 10 of us doing a sales call at a huge bank you you would know the name if i said it and uh, we got there and we were all, you know, wearing like sort of, you know, that sort of like business casual business class airline outfit, you know, the, the, the uh, like, yeah, right. Gotcha. And, but no ties, nobody had on a tie. So, so we show up and the person who receives us is like, you guys don't have any ties. It was, and it was all guys were like, you guys don't have any ties. And we're like, no, is that a problem? They're like, yeah, yeah. They're not going to see you if you don't have ties. And, uh. <laughs> So they, they scrambled around and they got a bunch of ties for us that, you know, didn't match, didn't fit. They're just like, looked ridiculous, but okay, now we have ties and we go in and sure enough, like this executive, I don't know if it was the board or, uh, I think it might've been the board. We're talking like old school, three piece suit, French cuffs, pinstripe, the whole nine yards, uh, dandies, honestly. I mean, they were dandies <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not kidding. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these people had assistants help them dress in the morning. It was like, I felt like I was in like, it was like Henry the 14th or something. It wasn't my gig. So I didn't really have any, I just had to go along for the ride. 
But if it had been me, I probably would have been like, no, I'm not wearing a tie. If that's not going to work, I'll just leave. Because if, if this is the kind of company that is, I'm not going to be a good fit. Like all day long, because it's, it's representative of a bigger thing. So like all day long, I'm going to be way too informal for this client, which makes sense. It was like a giant bank and I'm not a giant bank kind of guy. So had it just been me, and the point I'm making is that, yes, your ideal sort of outfit for work might not be a good fit for some clients. So fine, don't work with them. Uh, that whole story was just to illustrate that point. Because pe- you hear this advice like, oh, make sure you dress appropriately for the, the client. It's like, well, yeah, but you don't have to work with every client. No, it's, it's you do you. Yes, exactly. Thank you, you know, for boiling and, that down. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, <laughs> well, I think there's there's this uh, clothing historically has also shown respect, aside from creativity and and uniqueness and all that. But it's also many people look at clothing as a sign of respect. So, or you don't wear shorts to a meeting. Uh, I, I don't know the rules are all different now, and what goes for Casual Friday, you cover up certain parts of your body. That, I mean, there are all kinds of different customs and and views about clothing. I think the key here is that is that you do you. I look at it as you do it what makes sense for you and you show respect to the client. That that doesn't mean changing your the way you look or the way you act or the way you talk or doing a 180. It doesn't look that way at all. The the again, the closer their experience is to who you really are, the better the project's going to go in that scenario. Like what you just described, if, if it was just you, I mean, first of all, I don't think they would have chosen you if it was just you. But let's imagine they did. Can you see all the ways that that would have gone wrong? I mean, the first week alone. <laughs> yeah. No, they would have immediately been like, this guy's a clown. By the way, we didn't get the client. It was just terrible. They didn't like how those tacky ties looked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway... I'm thinking back, like, like how come I always got away with wearing jeans? Like, I would wear nice jeans. Like, I would spend money on expensive jeans. But but I think the reason I got away with it, sort of air quotes, or, or to put it more appropriately, the reason I attracted clients who were fine with that, is probably a better way to put it, is that I used to do a lot of speaking gigs, and I always dressed exactly the same for the speaking gigs as I would want to dress for a consulting gig. And it was always nice jeans and a button-down shirt. And it was like, if that's not formal enough for you, then that's fine. This is my uniform. And so if they see that and be like, we dig this guy, we got to talk to this guy. They already knew what to expect. The expectation was set that I was a a jeans and button down guy. So cool. I'm feeling arguments (laughs) from, from the, the ether of being like, no, you have to dress appropriate. I'm like, well, yes, all the things that, all the things that you're thinking, dear listener. And, and there's a certain Uh, deference and you're sending a message with what you chose to wear for sure. It's kind of like, you know how maybe in front of your kids, you'll talk a little bit differently than in front of your friends versus in front of a client. You're going to modify your language slightly in those different things. It's the same with your outfit. It's like, you're going to modify it slightly in these different areas. If you're radically changing what you're wearing to go to a client gig, that's a red flag to me. It's kind of like, what's the, is it, is it a Thoreau quote? Beware of all enterprises that require new clothes. I always love that quote because it was like, it's like if you're about to go embark on this new thing and you have to buy an entire new wardrobe for it, think twice. Why don't you already have those clothes? If this if this thing that you're going to do is such a good fit for you, why don't you already have those clothes? 
And it's like, huh, okay. Not, which isn't to say don't do it because, you know, you can grow and change and all those things. But give it a second thought like, huh, if I have to go out and buy a suit, is this really a good idea? <laughs> anyway. Right. Right. Well, if, yeah, if you're not a suit guy. I mean, I know we're focusing a lot on clothing and I think we kind of got into it because it's clothing is is a proxy, I think. It's it's just another way that we show our brand when we're just walking around, when we're just being seen. We're not doing anything, right? We're not talking, we're not moving, we're just sitting there. It telegraphs something. And what I like about talking about clothing and glasses and shoes and all those things is that it gets your mind to start thinking about what's that experience? What do people get when they're in your presence? And that clothing is just like, it's just the physical manifestation. And I don't want to say, I said just the physical, but it does impact how people perceive you. And so that's why it should be true to you because you want them to perceive you in the way that you are. Right. And to pull it back to the experience economy, uh, the clothing thing among, uh, with all the other things, but the clothing thing especially cuts to Pine's point about being on stage and that you're on stage way more than you think you actually are. And if you're just sitting in the waiting room, you're on stage before you even get into the meeting. Like us, when we walked in, we didn't have ties. That was part of the we're on stage. This is part of the performance, even though we weren't meet, you know, we weren't with the actual people, the meeting people. I guarantee you the people who got us the ties told that story to the people later. That on stage thing is really the 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 tie in for me with the clothes and and everything else. It's like you're not just on when you're delivering your service and like everything that happens outside of those bounds is um, unrelated or doesn't affect it or somehow other somehow separate it's all together it's a continuum and so the onboarding the you know follow-up you know you're contacting clients a year later and saying like hey how's everything going just wanted to check in see how that project is working out whatever it's all part of the same thing and that means clothing and website colors and photography and your business cards if you if that's something you do and the software you use to connect with people remotely all of this stuff ties together and you want it to be like, it's just easier if it's all authentic to you. And then you go find clients who, for whom you're a good fit, like for whom you are going to be just right. It's, it reminds me of the Mark Twain quote. He's like, the nice thing about telling the truth all the time is you don't have to remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like that. If sure. you're just constantly projecting the true you in a pro as a pro, First of all, be a pro, okay, then project that. And everything's almost automatically or it's more likely or it's easier to keep everything in sync. The way I'm talking right now is exactly how I talk with a client. Exactly. I'm not doing anything in my brain to change my level of proness. <laughs> <laughs> kind of circling back to brand. I mean, what your brand is, it's, it's an implied promise that this is how people are going to experience you. And so anything that gets in the way of what that really is costs you. It costs you trust. It costs you losing people who got lost in the, in the things that don't mesh that might have been absolutely perfect for you. So you, you could be turning away the wrong people or you could be pulling in the wrong people. I like to think of the, the experience thing. You know, you'll hear 
uh, consultants in this area talk about the experience journey. Look at it this way. Just think about what are all the different touch points where your future clients, buyers, readers, watchers, listeners, where they can see you, where they can touch you, where they can experience you in some way. You know, social media, sure. Websites, sure. Professional associations. I mean, start to think about all of those places where you touch them, they can touch you. And then I really like to think about it in terms of like steps. So somebody finds me in an email and they go through an email sequence. What's that like? What happens when they come out of it, out of the sequence? Where do they go? What happens next? What happens when they talk to me? What is that experience like? Are we using technology or are we using the phone? Like what, what's happening? What's the follow-up to that? If there's a proposal, how is the proposal handled? Is there, uh, I just had a client recently, a new client asked, say, gee, you should just include the link to the invoice in the proposal because I just wanted to go do it. Somebody else might say, oh, that's awfully pushy and presumptuous. So um, yeah, it's like, think about each of those steps and then One of the easiest ways to do it, I think, is to get in your head, if you don't have client avatars or client profiles, just pick two or three of the clients that you adore, that you would love to replicate a million times if you could, and picture how those people move through your experiences and think, well, gee, what would Joe like? What would have really gotten Joe to be even happier with this? Or how could I meet more Joes? What experience did I give him? What was different about that? And if you really think about it, you'll know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you an know, actual person, not like some yes. made up, you know, Becky, you know, Becky is a 45 year old, whatever. <laughs> yeah, a real person. The other thing you can do really casually is as people come to you, you can ask them, you know, a single question like, so what was that like? What was that, whatever that pinpoint of experience is? So what was that like? What did you think when that happened? You can just ask them a single question and you'll start to gather information about what they liked and and how they found you because that might also give you some, some cues too. Right. Yeah, definitely. That one of the, one of the questions I ask in my sort of, uh, I have like these questions that I, they're more prompts really, uh, after someone finishes a program and I'm, I'm looking for a testimonial like, Hey, Oh, that was really nice of you to say. Would you you know mind doing a testimonial? They said, like, sure. And the first question on it is what were you afraid of before this started? What was the thing that you're afraid of? You know, I didn't make it up. I like, they're just like questions that you can find on the internet. I think I saw them first from Sean D'Souza. And I just loved that question because it's the situation that, that new people are going to be in. So it creates a bridge between someone who's a past client, but it gets them to think back to when they weren't, you know, right when they were right before being a client where all the other people are. And so they can kind of express the fears or doubts or whatever was going through their mind at that point. And then they can say, but then what I, what turned out was it wasn't like that at all. Those were unfounded fears. Here's why. And I just, I just think that's the coolest, but going, going back and asking people, it's like, it's a little bit scary to do it because you're afraid they might say something you don't want to hear, but (laughs) I know, (laughs) but that's, that's kind of what you want. Like if they have something to say that you kind of don't want to hear, that's the thing you should address, right? Like that's like, if there's a, if you're afraid there might be a problem, you could just ignore it. Uh, that's probably not good. 
better to get it out. You're not going to learn anything from that. Yeah. There are exceptions to that when you have somebody that you realize you shouldn't have taken on because they're not the right fit for you. And sometimes you don't always see those signs ahead of time. And then so you kind of want to skulk off into the night. I've had people tell me about those situations. <laughs> but it's it's better to address it and know what it is. And, you know, it's not always good news. I mean, we all slip up from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. But but for those those clients who you want to replicate, it's like go to them and or like look for opportunities, uh, even in real time where there's something happens and then it's like, well, oh, that was awkward, mm, you know, and then is there something we, what, what could I have done better in that situation? I, I know I, I know I punted right there. Like, what could I have done better? But certainly at the end with a client that you just adored, as you put it, just like go and, and ask them like, what were your fears? What could I have done better? Uh, was there any, at any point, did you feel nerves or there must've been a point where you had doubts or something like, what can you tell me about that? You don't want to be too rigid either. Um, I'm thinking of a recent client who I just adore. I love working with her. She's terrific. Right up front, she asked me to do something different than my usual process. And I thought about it and it was really decoupling two parts. And I thought, well, I've never done this before. Why didn't I do it? You know, I thought it through and I said, all right, let's do that. Let's decouple that. As we worked together on a strategy and we worked collaboratively in this particular instance, then at the end, she said, okay, so here's how I really love to work for the next step. And she explained to me exactly what would work for her. And I love that. And I, I said, you know what? Yeah, we can do that. And this is what it would look like. Here's how we put that together. And this is what it would cost. Boom. So you hear things that you wouldn't hear otherwise, and they're not always bad. <laughs> right. Sometimes yeah. they're great. Yeah. So it's, you just don't want to be too rigid either. We all have processes. We have, especially when we're doing transformations, we've got a process that we believe is going to get there. So you have to look carefully at something that takes that out of, out of whack a little bit. They look at it differently. But I look at it and say, how can I keep getting better? How can I keep making this process work better for the client, better for me, better for us, better for the outcomes? And so it's, I mean, it's, it's fun to do that. Quick story before we should wrap up soon, but quick story about uh, the pricing seminar. So when I first did the beta session of the pricing seminar, I, I had a beta feedback channel in the community. So like if, if anybody at any time was like, this isn't working for me, or I've got an idea how this would work better for me. They would just drop it in there. And it was super helpful because, and, and when someone, to your point about she made a suggestion, you're like, oh, that might be a good idea. Some of the things that people would suggest are things that I explicitly in my own head had ruled out as I'm not doing that for a very specific reason. And I knew people would be like, boy, it's weird that you don't do that. But I had my reasons and maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but I, I had a reason. Other ones were like, you know, it's funny. I was on the fence about that. And most people are saying that it would be better the way that I didn't just, you know, like the other, I've gone the other way with like, I don't know, whatever transcripts or like uh, overview or it doesn't matter. But, but some of the suggestions you can immediately, well, it's been my experience anyway, that some suggestions are immediately like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's, there's a reason why I'm not doing, I'm sticking to my guns on that one. I hope you can understand. And here's my reasoning. 
but other ones you're immediately like, Ooh, I didn't think of that. Or, Oh, you know, I was debating that and I kind of just flipped a coin, but everybody's saying I should have done the other thing. I'm going to do the other thing the next time. And in subsequent sessions of TPS, I've kept that feedback channel. Like, I just like, I love it. It's a fair number of people and, you know, lots of people have good ideas. So why not stay flexible and, and keep it growing? Cause if, it, if, if someone comes up with something that's going to be more effective for the group and, and it doesn't conflict with some other, you know, big picture thing, then I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, just as a sidebar, is it gives people an outlet. If there's something that they're not happy with, they have a place to dump it and feel like it's being addressed. That's really important when you're doing things like this, because people need a way to let you know if something's not working. Right. Yeah. They want to be heard. And if you can make them understand why you can't or won't change it and they and you can get them to see it your way that it's it'll it works out it's fine it's yeah yeah. it's never been anything serious yeah yeah, no it's just having it having it there is 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 a great idea love it Mm. yeah i dig it it's all part of the the customer experience (laughs) the the client experience (laughs) the client journey the guest experience (laughs) um okay so i think we've probably gone all the way around this is there anything we should anything we missed read the book anything? yeah re- seriously this is this read probably, the book yeah this will be yeah. the i think the last experience episode at least for a while uh, but if you haven't listened to that joe pine interview from a couple of weeks back definitely listen to that read the book it's a classic there's a reason it's been on the bestseller list for 20 years or whatever i mean like it's really really eye-opening it it, it is i just can't say it enough it's it's worth a read and read the, there's a, it was revised, I think in 2014, read, read the updated version. So you get the latest stories that he talks about, uh, but definitely read it or reread yeah. it. Right. Good stuff. Cool. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority. Bye. Bye-bye.